are listening to the Issues on Appeal podcast, focusing on timely and timeless issues of appellate practice and professionalism. Here is your host, Dwayne Diker. Thanks for joining me for episode 54, Double Certified. This show is again sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. More about CSBA later in the show. In this episode, I talk with two appellate experts who are double certified in appellate practice and another area of the law, Deneen Wasilik of DPW Legal in Tampa and Alexis Fields of Kapelowitz Ostro in Fort Lauderdale. So we have talked before about the process of becoming board certified by the Florida Bar as an appellate specialist. I've been board certified since 2006, and many of my regular guests on the podcast are board certified. But in this episode, I want to talk about a much more rare phenomenon, lawyers who are double certified, certified in more than one area of practice. So I thought it would make sense to have double the normal amount of guests. So I'm joined by two lawyers who are both double certified as specialists by the Florida Bar, Deneen Wasilik and Alexis Fields. Deneen, you've been on the show before. Thanks for returning. I appreciate the invite, Wayne. And Alexis, you are making your first appearance on the show, so thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Now, since this is a podcast about appellate issues, it might go without saying that I invited two lawyers who are both certified in appellate practice and also in another specialty. Now, Deneen, um, I'll start with you. Uh, You were certified in intellectual property law back in 2009 and then obtained your second certification in appellate practice in 2013, right? Right, absolutely. Those two specialties are not as closely related as some. Do you do you primarily consider yourself an IP lawyer or an appellate lawyer, or do you not make that distinction? You know, it kind of depends on who I'm talking to. <laughs> um, uh, you know, in when I'm talking to fellow lawyers, I, I kind of make sure I speak about both because most of the appellate cases come from other lawyers, but also... Um, the kind of IP work that I do is pretty specialized and not just because I have the certification, but just because it is. Um, and so I want to make sure that I let people know that they can refer those cases to me if they need to. Um, when I'm talking to the general public, I generally just refer to myself as an IP lawyer just because they're the folks who are more likely to actually need my help. <laughs> you know, a lot of my work is with business and small business. So. Plus, I know that we all know the pain of how difficult it is to explain to a layperson what an appellate lawyer is, right? Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, what portion of your practice would you say is dedicated to appellate practice, like a pure appellate practice versus intellectual property? And and how much is there an overlap where it's it's both? Sure. I mean, I would say it's probably about 50-50. It just kind of depends on the month, which one ends up being more, Um, you know, in months where I have really big briefs do the appellate is definitely the bigger piece of my, of my, uh, of my, uh, of my income stream. Um, but it, it really just depends, you know, and and unfortunately there's not quite as much overlap as I would like. And I, I do have some ideas for how to, um, market the overlap better that I just haven't had the energy to put into fruition yet. Um, but that's okay because I feel like they sort of, um, hit on different parts of my brain and I find both super interesting. Now, Alexis, your situation is a little bit different. You were first certified in appellate practice in 2019 and then just obtained your civil trial certification this year. Congratulations, by the way. Yes, That's congrats. Thank you so much. Congrats yes. are in order. Uh, 
Now, civil trial and appellate can obviously be closely related since a lot of appellate lawyers also do trial support work, but have you always done trial and appellate work? Um, so I have a joke and I love to tell it and um, I'll say it here. Whenever anybody asks me how I became an appellate attorney, the answer is I lost a trial. <laughs> so um, it's it kind of for me, I've always been a trial attorney and then I just got into appeals and then I also do federal practice as well as um, state practice, which is more, you know, a lot of brief writing and that sort of thing. So um, there are times where there is the appellate and attorney in me and the trial attorney when they kind of conflict, where, you know, you want to uh, be persuasive in front of a jury, but you also want to preserve issues, but you don't want to, they're going to ask if you're objecting too much, well, what is, what are they hiding? And, but also the appellate part of you is like, you've got to raise this motion. I, and so I think mostly there's overlap, except for where there's conflict. Dear reader, you cannot see Dwayne and I nodding our head vigorously as, as Alexis was speaking, but we are. So how do you, how would you say your practice breaks down? Can you do it by a percentage or is it just uh, is it hard to hard to say how it breaks down between a pure trial practice and a appellate practice? I mean, I've reported on my board certification applications that it's 50-50. Um, and I think that's, I mean, it's hard because if I'm doing a motion for summary judgment at the trial level, I'm also doing appellate trial support. You know, um, I guess my, I, and also I will say that the way to become a good trial lawyer is to do an appeal. So I think that that actually really very much informs how people practice. So is there any particular reason that you chose to study for and obtain the appellate practice certification first and the trial second? Basically, I uh, qualified for appellate first. Um, it's a lot easier to get an appeal than it is to get a, uh, you know, a trial these days, especially a jury trial, given the declining jury trial. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is true. And especially, you know, your, your timing, I guess, um, your time period for civil trial probably ended before the pandemic was too, too far uh, in. I mean, I imagine you managed to get your trials in before everything shut down. Yes. Well, but the, uh, the application was due in July or August. Um, and then you don't take the exam until February. So really, I only lost a few months at the end, but I'd already qualified. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's... March to August from where you would file March being the start of the pandemic to August being whenever the application was due. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So you were always had your eyes sort of on both, but you just managed to hit the uh, number minimum number of appeals first. Yes. Now, I, it would be remiss for me not to say what a rare feat this is for, for both of you. I mean, the three of us being appellate uh, specialists in itself makes us one of, or three of, I think about 209 lawyers uh, in Florida. So that's already a pretty small group. But Alexis, uh, although there are, it looks to me like a thousand and one uh, board certified civil trial lawyers, which still, you know, isn't a lot when you figure there's roughly 80,000 lawyers in Florida. But uh, although there's a thousand board certified civil trial lawyers, there's only five who are double certified in appellate and civil trial. So that's that's pretty cool, right? Uh, that's very cool. But you know what's cooler? 
Yeah, well, I was going to get to that. Uh, you know, Deneen, uh, we were talking before the podcast, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, that Deneen is the only lawyer in Florida who is certified in both appellate practice and intellectual property. So uh, that also is very cool. Uh, one in 80,000 is a pretty good, pretty good ratio. And I'm curious, do you check uh, the results every year to... I do just because I want to make sure I'm the, I, I just want to make sure that I'm not um, I'm not misrepresenting anything. So I look every year to make sure and confirm that if I'm saying I'm the only one that I really am. Um, and I think it probably makes sense that, that I'm the only one just because I don't know a lot of other people who are in IP who do the level of especially state appellate work that I do. Um, and, and I mean, you can certainly become uh, appellate certified if you're doing purely federal, which IP generally tends to be federal court type litigation. But I think it is a little harder to um, at least study for the exam if you're doing only federal appeals and only federal work, um, because I think the, the test sort of leans towards um, towards this, the state stuff. So I, I don't see anyone else doing it anytime soon, but I would absolutely be thrilled if they do, because I, I think both are very exciting areas of law to practice. Yeah, and I think all told, Deneen, you you had done some research before the podcast that I think you did the math about the total number of appellate lawyers in Florida that hold any type of double certification is pretty small. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's about 23 people who have two or more certifications with, uh, there's actually two people who are triple certified with appellate and two other things. And then 21 who, who appear to be, um, have that one other thing. So, I mean, all of that is, is, is super impressive. I do think that appellate lends itself to a dual certification, maybe a little more than some others, because like, for example, there's one person who is double certified in marital and family law and appellate practice. Well, you can definitely build an entire practice just on doing family law appeals. Um, and, you know, and you probably are, you have to be doing family law trials to be, you know, board certified in, in marital and family, I think. But, you know, there's a there's enough overlap that it it would not be difficult to have the practice component um, by doing both. I think the same, that same is true for all of the other areas where people are sort of dual certified with appellate. Appellate lends itself to being paired with other substantive areas. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely true. A family law, intellectual property, of course, uh, you know, the business law certification, civil mm-hmm. trial, all those things make a very natural pair, I think. Sure thing. But yet we still don't see many of them because it's such an undertaking <laughs> to do it, it and to maintain both that people just don't do it. I, I would also, I mean, in my experience, I would say that appellate attorneys tend to be the nerds and the overachievers. So I think if anybody is going to be dual certified, it would be the kind of people I have come across in my appellate practice more often than those I've come across in any other areas. Yeah, I mean, that might be self-serving for me to agree with you on that, but I think that's probably right. I agree, too. So if it's self-serving, so be it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm curious from both of you how you thought the, the qualifications you know, required and the testing um, for the other specialty area that you're in compared to intellectual property. You know, Janine, do you think that property is, is harder to obtain uh, than appellate, or is it you know, apples well, and oranges? I, I think it's kind of apples and oranges. I mean, certainly as far as like the practice requirements and the five-year requirements, uh, you know, the percentage of your practice requirements and the five years in practice requirements and um, 
and the substantial involvement requirements, I think all of those are comparable. Um, you know, it's not exactly the same, but it's sort of similar to what I would think you would have to prove for, you know, appellate versus IP. Um, IP is one of the more challenging areas, I think, because it encompasses, you know, three, four areas of the law, three very, you know, full statutory structures. Um, and in, in general practice, many IP practitioners focus on one of those four and not all of those four. And so, um, you know, the, the process of being ready to take that exam is to show proficiency in all four of those areas of the law. Um, and that, requires a lot of studying. I think it actually shows that you're a better lawyer at the end. You can do better issue spotting in the end. It's somewhat similar to folks taking the test to do only federal or only state or only civil or only criminal. Um, so in, in some ways it's comparable in that sense, but I, I, I found um, learning more substantive law a little bit more difficult than um, ensuring I had, you know, four different sets of procedure straight, which was still a challenge. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> And Alexis, we sort of touched on this already that that in, to, in some ways getting appeals might be easier than getting civil trials, although getting oral arguments may not necessarily be as easy as it used to be anymore either. But uh, do you did you find one or the other that much harder? Well, I, I mean, you know, my main practice, I practice in Broward, which is part of the fourth DCA, which um, has a reputation for being the worst or the hardest to get oral arguments in. Um, I had to get them from Miami. I've only done oral argument in front of the fourth twice. And that is where I filed the most appeals. So um, I don't know if that answers the question. I do think that getting a going through and to the completion of a jury trial is harder than getting an oral argument. But I also think that has a lot to do with my firm and how much they trusted me. I never had a partner come, you know, a, a shareholder or anybody come over and say, take my oral arguments. If I wrote the briefs, I got to do the argument. So I do think that I'm, I benefit from that. And that I think has more to do with my firm than it does the actual process. But I mean, you only need five oral arguments. You need five jury trials. Um, I had more oral arguments than I had jury trials when it was time to, I mean, I ended up having seven by the time I submitted my seven jury trials by the time I submitted my application. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. And what about the recertification requirements for civil trial? What, what do you have to do, uh, you know, on a go forward basis to keep recertifying? You know, I've been certified for like a month, not even. <laughs> it's like, give her a chance to bask in the glow just a little bit, Dwayne, before she has to think about that. <laughs> I have to think you've at least thought about this because this is one of the burdens, right, of being double right. certified is you have to pay attention to and focus on two different areas. Now, with civil trial, I would think that at least there's some overlap in the CLE requirements, you know, because there's advanced CLE requirements. And I would think there are probably some things you could do that cover both, probably easier for you maybe than, than for Deneen. Um, but uh, yeah, are, is there a certain number of trials you have to keep getting going forward to, to renew? But I, I do know that, yes, I do have to. I don't know what the number is. And I also think that everything's up in the air right now because of the changes that they're doing with discretionary, same thing with appeals. And I believe that there's something similar happening in civil trials where the, they can exercise discretion if you have a particularly um, difficult or long evidentiary hearing that you'd be allowed to count that as a trial. So that's, I think it's up in the air. And that's why I didn't bother to 
memorize it. No, that's a good point. Uh, Deneen, what about, what about you, like educational requirements? I imagine there's not a lot of overlap, so you've got to get your hours in on both sides. No, there's not. And I'm on basically three different CLE cycles because my Florida bar requirements are on a different cycle than my IP cycle, than on my appellate cycle. And I used to have to keep sort of a spreadsheet that tracks all of those things. But the bar has made keeping track of that a lot easier now that we have, can log in and see where we are with all those things. So I don't have to keep that crazy spreadsheet that I created in 2013 anymore, thankfully. Um, one less piece of work to have to do. Um, but, you know, so, certainly I have to pay attention um, to make sure that I'm hitting my hours. I what, I what I really do is two things. One, I try to get as much of my credit as I can by teaching or writing because um, doing that tends to um, get you a higher number of CLE for what you do um, than, than sitting for an hour at a CLE. I mean, it's more work too, in a sense, but, um, but I, I feel like it's, it's good reward because I feel like anytime I have to teach something, I end up knowing it better. Anytime I write about something, I end up knowing it better than just sitting passively in a class. So I like doing that. Um, you know, and then certainly serving on a certification committee is a good way to get those hours in. And I have been on the IP certification committee for a couple of years now and served as a chair for uh, about two years ago now. So I didn't really have to worry about hitting those hours too much anymore. Um, you know, but keeping an eye in particular on the oral arguments has been, you know, important and, you know, something to keep in touch. The year that I was coming up for recertification, was the same year that uh, someone who used to work with me was going to be applying for certification. And I was trying to help him by saying, here, take the OA, take the OA. And then I looked at the, and I was like, oh, wait a second. I can't give him this last OA. I need to do it. Or I'm not going to be qualified for research. That's not going to work. So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting that you, ha you definitely have to keep an eye on things. But, um, you know, I've kind of settled into a system. I've done two research for IP and one for appellate so far. So I, I sort of know what I have to do, and I always tell myself this time I'm going to keep track of everything as I go, and then I don't. So <laughs> I know I, I, I've made that promise to myself too that I'm going to keep track of all the appeals as I do them, and I always wind up going back and trying to recreate the wheel at the end because all, all good intentions, you know. Yeah. Danine, do you do anything specific to marketing wise to market the fact that you're double board certified? I mean, I definitely say that I am, you know, the only one in the state of Florida who's, you know, certified in both of those things, which I think is kind of fun to say. I think it does give me a great deal of credibility to be able to say that, um, you know, I think, although, you know, to use the word that Alexis used earlier, I, I think people just say, okay, so she's a nerd, and, um, which, which can be useful because, you know, sometimes when you have someone who's, you know, so sort of caught up in the, in the cowboy trial going by the seat of your pants because you have to because you're in court every day they like having a nerd to step back and say okay wait a second um you know here's how i can support you and make sure you're preserving what you need to preserve or or whatever um but but yeah i mean that's that's the main thing that i do right now um i've been considering working on doing some more focused reach out to um, IP lawyers to sort of make sure they understand that I can be of help to them. And that has started to happen a little bit more sort of organically just because I am, you know, I'm just nerdy with 
rubbing elbows with other lawyers as much as possible. So, um, but yeah, but there's definitely more that could be done that I'm not doing in my mythical spare time, but I definitely try to do as much as I can to capitalize on it. Alexis, we were talking before the podcast that you have not even updated your web bio yet to refer <laughs> to your second <laughs> certification. That's so new. So, so I guess, uh, you know, you're not doing anything yet, but do you, do you envision any marketing value to being double certified? Well, there's definitely marketing value. And even though I haven't updated my bio on my firm's website, you know, um, I'm not the only attorney who is board certified in my two areas in the state of Florida. Um, However, I am the youngest and by a lot, um, you know, there's one other person who got it the same time as me now who has achieved it in less than 20 years, but nobody other than me could do it in less than 10. So um, that's a big deal to me. And, and, you know, it's a big deal, period, Alexis. That's really amazing. That's very cool. And I think it's sort of a um, I I I was on a mission to get this pretty early on when I was doing both of them. And I think there's something to the fact that I not only am I young, but I look young. I have a high pitched voice. I, you know, sometimes I go in and I do use that to my advantage in terms of especially to juries or just charming people rather than coming off like a uh, an authority figure or something but i think i wanted to have the board certification to tell people like look here this is i do know what i'm talking about i know that you think i'm dumb but look the state of florida thinks i'm an expert (laughs) yeah and and look at the marketing value it has already gotten you on the florida's most popular Appellate Issue Podcast. <laughs> yes, the best Appellate Issue Podcast in the state. Best only, you know, whatever. Um, I'm sad that it took that, though, for you to invite me on. I'm just going to say. <laughs> well, I apologize. How many years have we known each other? <laughs> I know. You know, and don't think that there's a, a mad rush of people who want to get on the podcast. So anybody who wants to be on the podcast and has an idea is welcome to welcome to send me an email because sometimes as I get into 60 episodes here, I'm, I'm starting to, um, you know, come up with new ideas. <laughs> um, so by the way, I'm just going to interject real quickly. The answer to the recertification que- question for civil is two contested civil trials of which at least one is a jury or one jury of six days, six trial days or more. So that's like easy peasy in comparison to what you had to do to get certified, but still a lot. Today's show is sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. If you have a client needing to stay enforcement of a judgment in Florida or any other state or federal court, contact CSBA. Chances are you don't deal with appellate bonds on a daily basis, but when you do, it's important and it's urgent. CSBA has an extensive collection of educational and reference materials on their website, including articles like, How Much Does an Appeal Bond Cost? or Using Real Estate to Secure Appeal Bonds, and even has a state-by-state guide to appeal bond requirements. But if you still have questions or just want to talk to a knowledgeable appellate bond specialist, call CSBA at 877 877- Eight one zero five five two five. Their contact information is always in the show notes, but I suggest you take an opportunity right now to add their contact information to your own contact list so you're ready the next time your client needs a court bond. CSBA is a national agency that assists with court bonds all over the United States, but has extensive experience in Florida. 
In addition to being a longtime sponsor of this podcast, CSBA is a premier sponsor of the Florida Bar's appellate practice section. The next time your client needs a supersedious bond, please give Court Surety Bond Agency a call. These folks are experts in this area. They'll guide you and your client through the process, giving you one less thing to worry about. I want to ask both of you whether you have any particular advice for people who are considering this, right? So we have to assume that most people listening to the podcast, if not everyone listening to the podcast, is a board-certified appellate lawyer or or at least is thinking about it. Um, for those who might be thinking about venturing out to a second certification, I guess my, my question for both of you is, you know, ultimately, is it is it worth it? And do you have any particular advice for somebody who might be thinking about it? Um, Deneen, do you want to start? Sure. I mean, I, I do think it's worth it. And, you know, even more so from the marketing angle than the even more so than the marketing angle is my own personal growth angle of what I have had to do and learn to be in this position. I think it just makes me such a better lawyer because I have to be able to issue spot on things that I don't do every day and be able to speak intelligently about them as well as, you know, be very focused on the things that I do do every day. And so I definitely do recommend board certification, certainly in your, you know, in your biggest practice area. And, and if you have, you know, if you're 50, 50 or something, you know, definitely consider doing it in two different ones because the process of becoming board certifi- certified to me is hugely rewarding and helpful for your practice. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Alexis, what, what do you think? Um, I mean, I obviously agree. Um, I can't tell you how beneficial being dual board certified is yet, having only been dual board certified for a couple of minutes. But I, <laughs> I can say, um, I think that people remember me more when I, you know, when it comes because I, oh, I don't sign anything that I do with, uh, you know, board certification. I just and I, I took off Esquire also. I'm just Alexis Fields. Here's my bar number. I don't. But um, when it does come out, I think people remember it more. They remember me more. It's more um, not impressionable, but it leaves an impression. And so I definitely recommend it. I agree 100% with Deneen. It the process was. I mean. This is something I like to say. Have you ever heard the Oscar nominees just say, it's an honor just to be nominated and it's kind of, you know, hot air? (laughs) For board certification, the process to be qualified is already an accomplishment. Like before you even take the exam, like once you get to the, I mean, you've already done the hard part. I mean, the exam is not easy um, and the appellate exam and the trial exam were very different, but I think that it has been good for me. And like I said, I, my trial practice benefited from my appellate practice and my appellate practice, I think, is informed by how trials work and, and that sort of thing. So I definitely think that having two, going through that process twice and then having two subject areas that you're comfortable with. Um, and also, and this is something, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm, I have too many answers, but this is another thing I want to say. Um, I think that when in the beginning, everyone's faking it till they make it. And then one day you're just not faking it anymore and you've actually got it. And there's still maybe that little bit of doubt, like, Ooh, do I know, am I supposed to be here? Is there, and 
um, once you're board certified, I think it gives you permission to not know things and to look it up and to admit it because you don't need to pretend anymore. So I think that that's been helpful for me instead of putting on a facade or acting like I um, need to prove something or that I know something more or any of that. It's I can admit it if I don't know. And I think that's actually made me a much better lawyer, certainly with issue spotting, certainly with understanding other sides' arguments and expecting them in advance, that sort of thing. That is such a good point, Alexis. I think because I think that that is the sort of curse of expertise is that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know and sort of, you know, you can lose your confidence in yourself and like, am I an expert? I'm not even sure if I am, but you know, just like understanding, okay, like, yes, I may not know this. Yes. I have to look it up. You know, the law is not a closed book exam. You know, the bar may be the, you know, the, the your certification test may be, but the law is not. So, um, you know, just being able to spot the issues and know that you don't know is the most important part of any of it. And I think that, you know, having the, having the courage to say that and having other people respect that you're saying that because you have that little, you know, logo next to your name is, is super helpful. And, and, you know, I've seen other people who maybe have this sort of, I'm going to use the term unearned confidence, but they just know they're right. And, you know, I'll go double check every time. And um, they just, I feel like, I don't know if they're projecting that because they want to come off like they know that they're right, or they just really believe it. And they've never thought to second guess themselves. I don't know. But I, I, I think that I've really gained perspective uh, being comfortable admitting I don't know things. Yeah, no, wow, that was a really introspective and, and, and thoughtful answer, and it makes me think there's a whole other podcast in there somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, you know, something you were said, as I have gone back and forth on signature blocks, I don't like Esquire either because it's meaningless, um, and I have occasionally used BCS uh, just depending on the context, but I don't really like that either. And people don't know what it means. And so, but I thought if you really wanted to, you could probably do like BCS squared or something. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I don't use either. I mean, I, I jokingly put BCS on the screen here when I logged in to talk to you, uh, but I think that's probably the second time ever I've typed that. So I think there's times when it, it, it makes sense or is appropriate, but I think part of the problem is a lot of people just don't understand what it means anyway, yeah. and you confuse them. But I would sign everything just Alexis if you know I was allowed to. I definitely sign all my emails that way. The, the other trick that I use is I my my bar number is is only eight two eight zero, which you know at some point they circled back around. And so uh, I sign, you know, I put 8280 without the leading uh, zeros on my uh, pleadings a lot of times just to make it look like I'm 100 years old. (laughs) Well, I have to say my hat is off to both of you. I I know the amount of effort it takes to become board certified once. Um, It's a huge undertaking to do it twice. Uh, I'd like to say I've been inspired to buckle down and and do it all again, but uh, probably not. But I want to thank both of you for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Dwayne. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. I definitely appreciate it. <laughs> I don't want to speak for Alexa. She's, she's perfectly capable of speaking for herself. She's double board certified.
Thanks again to Alexis Fields and Deneen Wasilek for being my guests on the show. Remember, podcasts are never legal advice, and nothing that I say or my guests say should ever be interpreted as legal advice for any particular situation. But if you're a lawyer who needs the help of an appellate lawyer, I'm happy to try and help. Please consider using our sponsor, Court Surety Bond Agency, for your client's appellate bond needs. When you need a bond, you often need it quickly. CSBA's contact information is in the show notes. Please take a moment now, add it to your contacts, so that you're ready when your client needs a supersedious bond. The next episode will be out in two weeks. I hope that you will continue to download and listen. Thank you for considering this week's Issues on Appeal. 